What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Moe. Bonjourno. Bonjourno to you as well. How are you this fine day? This time I'm going to get it right and not stumble over my words. <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, good. Good to hear. Good to hear. And we're glad everyone joined us here on this episode of Team Chat Podcast, a weekly video game show where we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. New episodes come out on Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Central Time, and you can listen to those on podcast services around the World Wide Web, as well as watch a video version of each episode on YouTube, youtube.com slash Podcast. And you can find us on social media as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have a Discord server you can join to chat along with us throughout the week when we're not recording episodes. And also, if you're enjoying the show and want to help us build it to be bigger and better, head on over to patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast where you can check out our reward tiers and support the show for as little as a dollar a month. If you're not able to become a patron, you can still support the show by leaving a review on Apple and Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We would really appreciate it. And we thank you all for listening. We thank all of our patrons, too, for supporting us and helping make the show bigger and better. We love you all. Before we get into the main topic of the day, we got to do a little bit of news with our moment with Mogan to find out the vast list of games coming out this yeah, week. Yeah, that's a little bit of irony, of course, because uh, all, like I said before, August is just there's like this little desert of nothing coming out between like the beginning and the later half of it. So nothing's actually coming out as of this episode's air, da- air date on August 13th. But coming soon on August 20th, we have Rad... Just Rad. Sounds awesome. That's the shortest title I've been able to read out on this show in like a year. Uh, That comes out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Again, that's August 20th. Also on the 20th, we have Remnant, colon, From the Ashes. That's more in line with what we're usually getting these days. Uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Also on the 20th, Yu-Gi-Oh! Legacy of the Duelist. (laughs) Awesome. For PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch, I'm I'm not surprised. I'm just... I'm a little. I'm both not and a little surprised that they're still making Yu-Gi-Oh games, video games at least. Yeah. Uh, and then coming at a little bit after that on August 22nd, we have Oninaki for PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC. Don't know what that is. Puyo Puyo for Switch. I actually don't know what version of Puyo Pop or the Puyo games or Puyo Puyo Tetris that might be, but I'm interested. Uh, that's also on August 22nd. Also for the Switch on August 22, Space Harrier. And then, of course, we're both going to play this one when it mm-hmm. comes out. Life is Strange 2, Episode 4. Got to give you that sweet review, that new comes, episode. That comes out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC, August 22 as well. So late August is packed. It's going to be full. Just that beginning Just part. Just right now, this week, nothing there's nothing coming out. Nothing going on. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. For that exhaustive list of, of games that we had. It, it was a little bit of irony that I was going with and sarcasm when I said it was an exhaustive list. But you know, Well, but. it's just not for this week. Right. But for Later soon. Weeks. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's be so great. many fun games coming out this week. But again, before we move on, well, there were a couple more topics that we wanted to talk about real quick in some news. The first of which is is... It's been everywhere. It's been around the news in, within the last week since the terrible shootings that occurred that the argument again... Or the misdirection, really. Let's it's call not it even an argument. It's, it's a, mis- a blatant it's, misdirection. It's a misdirection of video games causing violence and being the cause of these big shootings and horrific shootings that happen. Amazingly. In America only. Um, because, yeah, in you know, America only. And somehow, it, never mind. So <laughs> it's it, it, it just, you, you've seen all that, so we don't really want to go and, and dig into a lot of it, although just obviously share how, our feelings on that. But it's it's, within the last week, it's taken another step in that now that there are starting to be like 
And the big thing being Walmart, where Walmart came out and they said that they were going to no longer display imagery or promotions for video games that depicted violent material. Then later in the week, it was even it, it almost came out and seemed to be that it was going to be they were removing the sale of those games entirely. But then yeah. that turned out later to be a misunderstanding and an overreaction to a, to an announcement from Walmart. But still, the fact remains. That they're just, stopping the promotion. Promoting of violent video games. Air but quotes. They, air quotes. But they still are maintaining, continuing to sell guns at their stores. Nothing about their gun or ammo or accessories to gun sales. None of that is changing. None of no. their promotional materials for those items are changing. It's, it, it's just such a perfect distillment of how wrong policy about like gun violence and where it comes from and how we can stop it is playing out because yes. it's like cool. So somebody made the argument, uh, I, somebody on Facebook or Twitter or something, I don't know, out in the ether. Somebody made the argument of, okay, so when this doesn't stop shootings, well, who are you going to blame next? Right. I mean, at that point, <laughs> then they probably will pull the games from the shelves. Probably. Like, They'll probably be like, oh no, it's still actually... definitely video game violence that's the yeah, root cause of this. Yeah, let's just attack everything else before we actually attack the root cause. It's and a, so that's why I call it a misdirection. Yeah, it's, it's just astonishing. It, it's, it's astonishing. Uh, it's insulting. And it's, yeah. <laughs> and it's just mind-boggling that this is the response. Yeah. Anyways, so... That's as and much the anger, as we... and the anger, and the you know, and like the the tension that that causes up in me is not the fact that it, it's one of those things. It's 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 not the fact that video games are being attacked. It's the fact that that like everybody's doing everything in their power to avoid attacking the situation that is causing all these horrific events. As they bullshit. might say in Overwatch, attack the objective, yes. not all the auxiliary stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's just it's a, amazing and mind-boggling and yeah. infuriating. Yeah, definitely so. But that's all we're really going to yeah. say on that. <laughs> Let's move on to another game that came out in the, that had, that kind of came back to breathe new life into it. Oh yeah, back from the trenches of hell. Yeah, <laughs> I and that about is this. Anthem. Anthem had its cataclysm event, which actually I believe is over now at the time of this. Oh, damn it, I missed it. Release. It was only for a week. Oh, but I kind of thought they were going to last longer than that. Yeah. Whoops. But <laughs> the, this event came out, and I was like, hell yes. Anthem is coming back. They're, they've, they've been going back to the drawing board. They've been coming out with some great ideas, thinking of some great ideas, and here they are. The first like big bit of news or anything that we've heard about Anthem in a very long time. That wasn't just like really bad stuff on the right, side. Right, like player base being almost yeah. gone and all this other stuff. So I jumped into Anthem, jumped into my javelin suit, my good old buddy Colossus. Quite literally jumped into the air literally, and then flew and away. flew away <laughs> like Iron Man to see what the new event had brought. And I gotta say... When I first started, I was like, hell yeah, this feels great. I'm having a great time. I remember how much fun this Because really, I finished the main story. We did our review on Anthem. Oh, yeah. And then I, I forgot really, we did that. Yeah. And then, I, well, everybody's kind of forgot about Anthem. That's the problem. And so yeah. then uh, this, and so then this thing comes out, and but it's been like radio silent. And I haven't touched it since then because I really didn't, unfortunately, and that the big complaint like everybody had about Anthem is there just wasn't enough to do after Endgame yes. to keep it exciting. Right. And so here they are. They had their first big event 
And unfortunately, I just got to say, it's more of the same. Is it? Like, I first jumped into it, and it was fun because the gameplay game was fresh to me. I hadn't been just, like, grinding out week after week after oh, week yeah. getting stuff. So I had this kind of, like, new – and I was like, oh, man, it feels so good to fly around the javelins, which I still hold. It still feels great to fly that around is the still, javelins. Me- like, mechanically, it's a great game. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of how it feels in your hands. Right. Uh, but, yeah. So, unfortunately, it's just more of, like, the typical format, I'm guessing. You Same go kind in, of stuff. You, you go kill a bunch in of little scrubby enemies. To collect some things. You have some money minor puzzles. The big change, though, is that it does actually introduce a new area uh, hmm. on Bastion that you can explore. But the problem is... Is, is it, it snowy? No, it's oh. just more, it's more kind of like actually tropical a little bit. Like. But but the whole thing is, and the new point of this Cataclysm event is that you can go around and there are new story missions for you to, fu- to, to explore, to complete. And then you actually have the big main Cataclysm event, which is actually a timed event where you start it in, I believe it's a 15-minute timer that starts, and you have to complete... And get and gain more score by completing objectives, killing enemies, and whatever to increase the time limit that you have. Oh, so that's it's kind of cool. So it's cool in that regard, but again, it requires massive teamwork to be able to work with your fellow javelins to be able to. And com- it's still just a team objectives. of four, right? Still it's not like a massive thing, exactly. And but still, I found myself even when going into normal missions in the normal missions of Cataclysm, I normally only got paired with one other person. Really? Because the player base just... Because, oh, again, I just feel like there's just, just not just, enough people oh, to play it. it. The matchmaking thing would still spin for a while, and it's just like, okay. I mean, so it's like, oh, I get it. Sucks. I enjoy the gameplay of it. The story was kind of weird, too, because it doesn't give you the background cinematic of what's going on until you already complete two or three of the Cataclysm missions, and then it like jumps back and says two weeks earlier and shows you... Really? A, yeah. <laughs> that is kind of really weird. weird. I d- the only thing I did like, it did introduce some cool new characters. Like you do, like the main... He's in and mentioned the original Anthem storyline, Dr. Harkin. He's a Dominion Arcanist hmm. and who was in control, who, who kind of caused the destruction of the city of Freemark and the creation of the Heart of Rage. Oh, because he wasn't he the one that like ordered them to go in and like take the thingy that did the right, thing? Right, right. All yeah. the lore stuff. Yeah, all the you know? lore yeah. stuff. So he's been established before. You actually get to meet this character and interact with him. And he's a cool character. Like, I like how they wrote him, how he's acted and all that. He's great. But it just still, it just, it felt like you very repetitive in like mission play. And then even then, just not having that, social aspect of it which i think is what the is a big selling point of of a game of as a service like like yeah. destiny or division things like that you have to have that player base to support it especially if you're going to try to go, go on it solo and so it just for unfortunately just really didn't ignite reignite the fire for me and what i wanted to do it did have a new seasonal store is what it called that you could get some more stuff by collecting these shards throughout gameplay and there was an armor pack on there that I'm like, that looks pretty sick. But overall, not a huge selection of things to offer. And again, to get them, you have to grind a whole lot. Yeah. To get these or crystals. Or pay the real money. Or pay the real money, which I'm not going to do. Yeah. Hell so, no. I don't know. I like, as much as I want to love Anthem, because the... The concept, the concept is very it, cool. And like you said, mechanically, And it's it looks great. great. It's a good-looking game. Uh, the characters are at least interesting when you first encounter them, even if they take wild, wrong turns on their personality path later <laughs> down the line. Oh, and... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just... It has... I feel like Anthem has the ingredients... Just not, it's just not coming out. It just like needs the, to go in the oven the, for a little longer. The temperature on the oven is yeah. wrong or something yeah, like definitely. that. It's It's... Too bad. Like, I would love in a couple months or maybe maybe a year if it takes that long, and they'd be like, all right, Anthem 2.0, 
Try this out. See what you get. See what you feel now. Now, and if they drastically change some of these things, these game breaking things, or not game breaking, but just like the, the quality of life things, make give you more content, give you more things to do, make it not quite so repetitive more in your enemies. tasks. More enemies. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, just something romanceables. Like, there one we of go. those is easier to do than the other one. Bioware. Choose wisely. <laughs> and and so it's just I want it to be there. It's just still not there. And yeah. I really and I was kind of disappointed. And I mean, I guess the difference is who. Who is it that does No Man's Sky? Happy Hello Games. Hello Games. Uh, Hello Games does at least and always has seem to have a lot of investment in No Man's Sky and in eventually fixing everything. And it's been the only thing they're doing. Whereas Bioware, part of the reason that I don't think it will ever make a comeback is Bioware does not seem to have even remotely the same level of moral investment. In Anthem. I mean, they, it seems like even they don't have confidence in it. And well, they say they have confidence in it, problem. and they say that's like they're, they're dedicated to it and sticking to it. But they also have Dragon Age 4 coming along, or whatever the next iteration of Dragon Age is. And Dragon Age is an established series. And there's no way they're going to take resources away from Dragon Age to put them on Anthem. Exactly. Especially if Anthem's already failing. And they are going to then need to be like, okay, we need to put all of our eggs in our in our Dragon Age basket because we know we have a dedicated fan base there that we need to make happy. Because if they fuck that one up, then they're it's, in way more trouble. Because then they, they jacked up uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Then there was an Anthem. Yeah, they need Dragon Age to work. They really need Dragon Age to work really badly. And I would love you know I want Dragon Age to work. I love the Dragon Age I'll games. even be okay with shittier graphics if it means that like they just look a little bit more normal than in Mass Effect. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you can scale it back a little bit. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I mean, if they can even maintain the quality of graphics in Anthem. Anthem's, yeah, actually. Like, even in the cutscenes and character animations. They, they always look really good. Yeah. It, like, they're, Anthem has a lot of good stuff going for it. Like you said, the ingredients are there. Yeah. They just, they just have to make reason, it better. They're not combining right. Yep. Anyways, so that's anyway. basically the basically the news that's happening right now. All that's coming out there. But now it's time to move on to our main topic, which is talking about games that ex- certain things about a game that excite us. We're going back to a good old list because it was brought to us by our good friend Brandon over on the Discord. He suggested this topic to us of doing the introductions or introductory parts of a game, like which ones got us excited. And so this is what a, draws you into exactly what hooks the first bit. And we kind of, we kind of took this to mean either like opening cinematics or even opening mission. And what really after playing, we're like, Oh, I'm hyped. I mean, we bought the game. We knew we were probably going to like the game already, but you get that first thing. You're just like, Oh, this was a good decision. Yeah. So what game for you? Checks those boxes. So I'm actually going to do kind of like a cheat here because it's technically not what drew me into the game at all because it was already part of a game I had already finished. So we recently talked about how I just this year, a couple weeks ago, really, maybe maybe a month ago now, uh, just finally finished the first Dishonored game. And right, in actually right. finishing the first Dishonored game, which I think came out in 2014, so it's been like, what, five years? It's been a while. And I bought it three years ago, <laughs> so it's yeah, been, it's it's been a while. Sometimes still on the shelf, But you know? the point is, I finished it, so nice. I finally finished Dishonored, and in doing so, I finally got to the point where I was like, sweet, I can finally move on to the DLC now, <laughs> which is still really old by this point, but which follows a radically different path in some ways than the main game does. 
So I've mentioned this before, but just a very brief background. Uh, Dishonored on its own, you play the character of Corvo, your low-key love interest slash girlfriend, but it's kind of a big secret. The Empress mm -hmm. uh, of the city of Dunwall has been murdered by these mysterious people that you don't really know who they are. You just know that she's been killed, and her daughter Emily, the Empress's, you know, the princess, right. has been kidnapped. And Emily's like 11 or whatever. Uh, but Corvo has been framed for all of this. So his entire arc is restoring his reputation and, of course, getting revenge and justice on the people that wronged him. And, uh, and Jessamine and Emily, of course. Mm -hmm. So the guy that wronged him, by and large, is this dude named uh, Dowd. Forget what his first name is. Talked about Dowd in the the random episode we had we a few weeks did. ago. We did, yes. Yeah, so yeah. we're circling back circling to that because this gives it a little bit more context. So Dowd is basically the leader of... They're not necessarily a gang because gang doesn't feel like the right word. It's like too... It's not sophisticated enough. So what's the next step up from like a gang in terms of like, like strategy and sophistication? I can't have I can't think of one like right now. Like mafia? Yeah, they're kind of like their Crime own mafia. family kind of thing. Yeah, that's okay. actually a lot closer to what I'm thinking of because Dowd is essentially the leader of this circle of villains we'll call them uh, and and yeah and they all use uh, basically outsider powers so they all use these dark forces they're kind of like occultists in a sense so everybody knows about them basically they live in the shadows no but they are bad news so Dowd is the playable character and the air quotes protagonist of much of the DLC which is a really nice change of pace because then you get to play through the game basically from start to finish kind of in isolated chunks mm -hmm as Dowd. And nice. even when Corvo, I think actually was a silent protagonist. I don't think Corvo, God, did he talk? If he ever talked, it was very brief. I don't think he was think, in the first Dishonored. I don't know about the second because I haven't played it. But in the, the second, first, he definitely talks. And the first one, he might not. I don't think... I don't I remember. I really don't think that he actually speaks. You might be able to select a couple of like choices of air quotes dialogue yeah. for him, but I don't remember him talking. Dowd, though, very chatty guy. He's got a lot to say, and he tells it to you straight. So the intro that I'm doing then is Dowd's intro from his first DLC pack. Ah. So uh, the coolest thing about this is that it starts at exactly the same point as Corvo's game starts, but literally from a visual perspective, from the eyes of Dowd. So like, if you were to look at it on a map... Corvo's over here. He's in a gazebo with Jessamine and Emily, and they're just talking, having a lovely day. Right before that, if you'll recall, and if you've played the game, Corvo had been literally literally playing hide-and-seek with Emily. So, low-key, he's Emily's dad, but you're kind of not supposed to know that right. at this point. So, he's like this big, gruff guy, and he's the Empress's spy master slash murder. Assassin. Assassin! There we go! Yes, he's the master assassin! I couldn't think of the word. I was like, murder, murder man? So, so evil. <laughs> and I was like, he's supposed to be the well, he is pretty evil, though. Anyway, so he's just been having a lovely time with his low-key, air quotes, wife and daughter. And then out of nowhere comes Dowd and his minions, and they just stab her right through the middle. Oh, no. 
So you play that same scene out from Dowd's point of oh, view. Oh, that's pr- that's pretty cool. And you hear his internal narration over the scene because he's talking about like I've killed so many people before. I've murdered thousands, probably oh, all God. nobles. I've watched the life drain from their faces, and yet no one has stayed with me and haunted me like killing. Empress Jessamine. And like it plays through it and he stabs her like in slow motion just straight through her torso. And the entire scene is very dramatically posed. And like you see Corvo get knocked out and then he grabs Emily and takes her away. Uh But the whole thing is just like he's basically going over the rooftops to where the gazebo is where like Corvo and Emily and the Empress are. And like, it's him and all of his men. You see them come out of nowhere because they've got their teleportation powers from the outsider. Like they're sneaking along the rooftops and you're like, Oh my God, it's like a mission on a move. Mm -hmm. It's really cool to see. And then they all teleport into the gazebo and the action begins. And you're like, Oh my God, this is awesome. So you're not really playing that part is it is more of an opening cinematic, but it puts, it does, does such an excellent job of reframing the game, just taking a scene that had already happened, but making it new and fresh just by putting it on this different perspective. Mm-hmm. And after that, the game is all about doubt, of course, because it's the DLC just for him. But that opening scene, it just like sets the tone and it sets the pace because, yeah, you're supposed to be the biggest, baddest, basically like wizard crime lord in all of Dunwall. But Dowd has all of this like inner turmoil about what he's it's finally coming back to him like what he's done he's finally like oh shit have i finally gone too far and even the outsider like after this opening cinematic happens like you get one of those um kind of otherworldly scenes Mm -hmm. uh where you're like in the realm of the outsider and it's very weird and blue and everything's floating Uh, and the outsider comes down and he's like wow dang, dude, that seems a little extreme even for you. (laughs) He doesn't say it that way, but that's the gist. And Dowd is like, huh, maybe I shouldn't have killed her. (laughs) So it does such an amazing job of like sowing doubt from within Dowd himself. And you're like, oh, he's a crime lord on the decline. Mm. Because remember, depending on how you play the game, Corvo may or may not have killed Dowd. You have the option. You can kill him or you can just send him a message and basically scare him, I guess, out of criming, question mark? That doesn't seem harsh enough. It doesn't seem harsh enough. I didn't kill him much. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Anyways, the point is that it just gives you so much additional character background, much of which you get from that opening scene. Mm -hmm. Like you already get like the, the, the atmosphere is so well done just from that one opener of going over the rooftops, blinking into, it's called your blink, isn't it? Blinking into the gazebo and then doing some murder and then getting out of there. And you're like, Oh shit, was that actually a good idea? Yeah. I wish I'd had time to rethink that. (laughs) So that's, that's my uh, first pick. Nice. That's a good one. Good old Dow. That's a nice one. That is a really cool how it does, like you said, reframes the original game. It was so cool to see because, like, from Dow's eyes, you can literally see, like, Corvo and Emily and all of them, like, in the map that you've been on before as Corvo. And it's just like, oh, man, you can get onto this roof. Could I have done that as Corvo? No, because at the time you didn't have your powers. That's true. Outside had invented you, Brett. Yeah, because it, it doesn't happen. It's right after the Empress is killed is when the outsider like shows up and he's like, "Hey, man, correct, you're going to need some help because Here are all my powers." Corvo doesn't necessarily get no wait. It doesn't happen immediately. 
there's like another mission or like a you, cinematic or something. You or years wait, when you're Corvo, you wake up in prison. I'm pretty yes. sure is how it happens. And you have to escape from that prison, I think, without powers. I agree. And then when I you escape right. the prison, I think he like jumps off a bridge or something and maybe into the river because then I think that's where Sam finds it. Right. So I think it's while you're unconscious from that jump – you're basically you're on, right. on you're the right. brink you're of right. death. That sounds right. I think that's when the outsider shows up and he's like, so, heard you've been murdering a bunch of people in a prison. Sure, record scratch. <laughs> so you're probably wondering how you got here, right? So you probably That's <laughs> exactly how it is. Well, my first pick then is another open, is another, is a cinematic of a game. And to be fair, a game I have not played, but one that still uh, fills me with excitement every single time I watch it. I've watched this cinematic. Is it The Last of Us 2? No. Oh, okay. No, it's, it's, it's actually not. Um, Wait, is it a game that hasn't come out yet? No. Oh. No. It's, it's not just right. a game you haven't played? You just haven't played it yet. It's in the backlog because, okay, so it's the it's the opening cinematic for The Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings. Oh, okay. So, because I have all three Witcher games. My original plan was to play through all three of them in order, and I've already decided with how long it's taken me to You're play through Witcher 3. That's hubris. not going to happen. <laughs> I know exactly. It's exactly what it is. So I know it's not going to happen in any amount of time. Like, and so it'll be like a, I might just jump in and start it for a little bit, play it here or there. But I've still like gone and like I have started the original Witcher and played through some of it. Have not touched Assassins of Kings yet. And but the opening cinematic for Assassins of Kings, actually, all the opening cinematics for the Witcher games are great. Or any trailer, anything like that, they put on the one for the original where he hunts a Striga is so good. But in Witcher two, how it starts is it's just on a boat. Or it's you're on these two boats really, and it's the king of the king, King Foltest, is on this boat, and he's being entertained by court jesters. There's like a a mage or a wizard. I'm not actually te- sure, totally sure which they what or if they call them sorcerer in the Witcher world because I know like Yennefer is a sorceress, but I don't know if they call. I don't remember now if they Grand call them Vizier. We'll, we'll go with that. That's my favorite title. But so you're on this boat and you're seeing the king and he's being entertained by his court jesters and you can see and like they're even doing things like lighting farts on fire different stuff like this. That's the king is loving it. He's amazing. having a great time. Amazing. Of course the, he would love that. The wizard grand vizier sorcerer is just like, oh God, what is happening? And then it has, A typical Jafar. And then it shows a uh, archer you know, showing off his skills. They throw a whole bunch of clay pots in the air. He shoots them all out. It was, it's really impressive. Neat. Just as this is, you know, they're going on this journey. The king is being entertained. But so while they, all this oh, is going on, on mind, yeah, yeah. and while all this is going on, you see a figure crawl up out of the river <gasps> onto the boat. Oh, that's extreme. I, I already like this. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And so he climbs onto this boat, hides. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe this character, this, this character becomes bigger deal in it later on in the game. At this point, you don't know who he is. It just cr- jumps onto the boat. Kind of hides, and he's this big hulking dude. Like he's he's big, muscular. So it's like, how okay, you're able to hide, cool, and climb up the side of this boat all quiet, like without no one seeing you. Good on you, you're a great assassin. And so he climbs onto this boat, chills, hides for a second, like watches what's going on because now there are these two dudes boxing for the Ooh, for the king's entertainment and all this. God, on. this sounds like a raging party. It is on a boat. It sounds Dang, great. It sounds awesome. <laughs> one for the lonely island would want to be on. And so they're going on. They're having all this is going on, but then the the guy who climbed onto the boat pulls this vial, this tiny little vial from his from his vest, pops the cork off of it, or or no, he doesn't even do that. He just keeps it and then just throws it from his hiding spot. All and then it kind of everything goes in slow motion as the camera like zooms on this oh, vial nice. flying through the air slowly. Very no cool one else shot. notices what's going on really, except for 
the mage. And he kind of st- gets up out of his chair. He's like, what am Wait, I Wait, so that's the Grand here? Vizier? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to call him. Okay. <laughs> and so he like see, he's, sees it, and you see him like get up, and he's like slowly, inquisitively like, looking air, in the air like, what is that? But then it hits. This vial hits the mast of the ship and immediately blows out this huge explosion of basically just ice and turns everything it touches into ice. The whole boat becomes ice. The two dudes fighting become ice statues. Everyone becomes ice as this wave of this, of this explosion comes out of the vial after it made contact with the mast. The mage throws up like this, this fire barrier basically to protect the king. And this archer, the archer from before, he gets, he gets lucky there too. Lucky bastard. But literally, and, and just freezes it and protects himself and the king and all those other people from this blast. And they're all just like, oh shit, like what happened? Like they're just like, what, what, what's going on? And lo- obviously looking for the, whoever the perpetrator. The exactly. <laughs> and so then, as, and there's this brief moment of quiet as they're all looking. And then there's a crack because now the, this boat, all ice is now beginning to disintegrate. And once this boat starts falling apart and collapsing, the the assassin pulls knives from his belt and takes off just sprinting full speed. All this part is in slow motion still. And he just starts sprinting at the king, just determined. The archer like stands up and tries to shoot at him. All the while, and of course, like, and but while all this is going, the ice, the the ship, and this is what makes it so cool, is because the ship is literally disintegrating into tiny splinters. It shows like the fighters who are also ice; they start just like exploding into splinters because literally this world is falling apart around them. But this assassin is still just dead sprinting at this while all this is going on. The archer tries to shoot at him and shoot a couple arrows, but the the assassin, literally one of them, just simply spins out of the way and just lets oh, his arrow fly by. Oh, that's very stylish. It's so cool. What a cool guy. He just runs up, <laughs> just slices that archer open, no oh problem at all. Oh, my God. The well, mage then tries to do to things. live through the first thing. Right? And then immediately <laughs> begin. <laughs> immediately just get knifed and just be like, damn it. <laughs> and then the, the mage tries to put up a fight, throws some, some firebolts, firebolts and stuff like that at him. Doesn't matter. Just gets Just gets taken out. And then the king, who you can kind of tell is obviously kind of, timid cowardly really is how I would describe him. He tries to like crawl away, but the assassin just grabs him and just like viciously just hacks his head off and ties his, like ties his head, his head to his belt and jumps off the boat, swims away all the while this other boat that was with them on the side, just like is just now starting to turn to see what the hell's happening. Oh and it's just God. sets up this, I think it was just this combination of showing such a brutal, vicious assassination sets up the name and obviously then ties into and gives credence to where this game is going with the name Assassins of Kings. And it's just, it just immediately just enters in and for it to not even focus on Geralt is I think another one of the powerful choices of having this be the opening cinematic is it really just further expands. And it's just one of those things I haven't played the game, but it's that cinematic is the one that I'm just like makes me more fall in love with the world of the Witcher. I haven't even seen the cinematic. Oh, I got to show it. And I'm to you. really invested it's now. So good. I got to know what I'll show happens. it to you after we're done because oh it's just it's ridiculously good and it's like four almost 5 minutes long. Like it's a it's a hefty What a banger cinematic. of an opening cinematic. I know. And so it's just it's just one that just further solidifies even though like I've said, it's going to take me forever to play through the Witcher games. And I'm, but it's one of those things that like it sold me on it. Combine that with the opening cinematic of the first Witcher game and then playing Witcher three wild hunt just continues to build how awesome of a world the Witcher is. That's and it's sounds oh, so rad. It's, it's so cool. 
It's wait. So what's the, the assassin's name? Dowd? Uh, no, it's not Dowd. Because <laughs> um, I believe again, I could be completely wrong because I have, like I said, I haven't played the game, but I believe I've run into him in The Witcher Three, and his name is Otho or uh, crap or Lotho, maybe something like that. But I'll look it up as as you're going into your next one. But really, though, it was. Incredible. What what am I what are you put this elsewhere? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have nowhere to put it. You were signaling something else. I was like, I don't know what she was gonna do with it. It's a gift for you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. But that was my fir- my first pick because just of how awesome and it's one of those you get goosebumps watching it. Oh, it just I mean, I got goosebumps and I haven't even seen it yet. Oh, just wait till you see it. What an excellent it's so good. you've painted quite a picture with Why, words, you. good sir. Thank you. So really quick, before we do jump to your second game, it's Letho. I looked it up. Letho the Kingslayer is the guy's name. When he eventually gets his own movie, I hope they call it Letho Weapon. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! I got one! Oh, that's a good one. Got my obligatory pun for the day. So that banger of a pun. (laughs) That banger of a pun. What's your second game on this list? Oh, Mel Gibson could play him? Are you kidding me? (laughs) That would be amazing! (laughs) He's very old by now. Uh, as if that's the only problem. Anyways, the point is, so my next two are related, mm. but they're both really good examples of how even within the same franchise, opening sequences or opening cinematics, or one of them may actually be the trailer, I'm actually not sure, t- to be quite honest, mm-hmm. uh, can have such different approaches. So the first one I'm going to talk about is our old, old pal, and by our I mean my, because you've never played these games, uh, Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, yeah, I know everything about that game. Yeah, you know everything about that oh, game, yeah. surely. <laughs> so, <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII, for those of you that don't know, uh, actually, you may have been exposed to it for the first time, even if you've never played a Final Fantasy game, because they did a big trailer reveal for its remake slash remaster me- reboot. I think it's just a more modern version of it, uh, that they just did at E3 this year, because they're finally giving, like, a facelift to Final Fantasy VIII, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, It's... A very divisive Final Fantasy game. Plenty of people hate it. I always really liked it. And a big part of the reason that I liked it was it's got style for days. And it was a really radical departure in its stylings from the previous Final Fantasy games. And in terms of graphic jumps from Final Fantasy VII to Final Fantasy VIII, that crap was mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, in the game itself and in the actual gameplay, it was just like a minor step up because it was like, oh, they look a little bit less po- polygonal. Mm-hmm. They look a little bit more like actual humans now. That's exciting. Right. But the cinematics, of which there are many in Final Fantasy VIII, were amazing. Like, nice. you were watching them and you were like... The future is now. Because remember, this was PlayStation 1 still. Mm -hmm. Final Fantasy 7 had come out for the PS1, followed shortly by Final Fantasy 8. And it was just radically impressive at the time. So the opening sequence then, it's primarily amazing a, because of the cinematic quality, yes. Uh, excuse me, the graphical quality. But more so than that, the soundtrack is what makes it. So the soundtrack for this one is, of course, um, I have to look it up real quick because if I say it wrong, Brandon will be very mad at me. <laughs> because I know I know it, but also I'm certain that I can say it wrong. Okay, so I'm going to say it. Don't make fun of me. It's Fithos Lusek Wekos Vinosek. 
Do you want Sounds me to, right to Do you me. want me to play you a little bit of the track? Sure. Just so that you can hear it? You've heard it before for sure. Let me see. Let me hear a little bit of this. Hold it close to your mic real quick so we can hear this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard this. Exactly. So that's what you're getting when okay. this trailer starts up. But I, if I'm not mistaken, it actually begins. The music doesn't even the, the music hasn't even started up quite yet, and you appear to be looking at just like a very calm beach because, like, if you're standing like right at the water's edge and it's in first person, that's what you would see. You've mm-hmm. like got a little line of sand, beautiful crystal clear blue ocean, very calm waves lapping at the shore, and you're like, are we on a vacation retreat in hawaii where are we right now and then the music kind of starts to kick in and you're like oh my god what's happening i anticipate now good things are not coming my way good things are not coming my way and then as the music starts up you kind of go into this like flying bodiless uh i guess I, i don't really know how to phrase it just the scene starts coming at you and the landscape starts to change so first you're over the ocean and then eventually that ocean turns into a desert like that rocky cracked desert of like not sand but it's just scorched earth and you're like where'd all the water go oh no and overall of this are like random not random but just um when you don't have context for them they seem random it's like very powerpoint of just like white words kind of fading in and out of the screen and i forget what they actually say it's like I'll be waiting for you or something. I don't I don't remember the words. That's not the important part. But as the scene continues to fly forward, you eventually get from the desert into like a field of flowers. Mm, like a gorgeous field of very vibrant, blooming wildflowers. And like flowers are spinning around in the air and you're like, oh my goodness, it's beautiful. And then the scene kind of starts to uh, circle in on a female figure with long black hair and like a beautiful blue floor length, super cool vest. Nice. I don't really know what you would call it. It looks awesome. And that figure is Renoa, who you later encounter in the game, and she's really one of the key uh, figures from Final Fantasy VIII. But as the camera circles in on her, she opens up her hand, and one of the petals falls into her hand, and she closes it and opens it back up, and then it's a beautiful white feather, and you're like, oh, gasp. And I don't actually think that she has powers like that in the game. Maybe. I forget. Uh, but anyway, you're like, oh, what's going on? And then the feather like floats away and the camera follows the feather up into the stratosphere and then it flies into the sky and then the sky turns to storm clouds. And then there's a bolt of lightning and where the feather like flew up into the clouds, mm-hmm. down comes a spinning gun blade. Ooh. And it slams into the earth and like strikes down and you're like, oh, what's happening now? That's and cool. then the scene is immediately like shifted into this totally different scene of the ca- uh, two of the main um i'm holding up four fingers but you're gonna have to trust me that's two uh two of the game's main protagonists and antagonists there's more than just the two of them of course but they are the key conflict mm-hmm. of final fantasy 8 it's cypher you can tell he's a douchebag because he's got what i call draco malfoy hair okay. like the slicked back yep. very blonde platinum hair he totally looks like malfoy now that i think about it but he came first. <laughs> so it's Cypher uh, facing off against, of course, the protagonist of the game, Squall Leonhardt. So he's got the very Final Fantasy, like, spiky mm-hmm. anime brown hair. And he's got, like, his cool kid, like, cropped leather jacket with, like, the white fur around the collar. And you're like, who the crap is this? 
awesome guy. And they're like just going at it. So of course uh, they've got gun blades, which are mm-hmm. like, yeah, they're swords, but they're also guns. Great combination. <laughs> Fantastic imagery. So they're just slashing away at each other. And even though the track is still playing of Fithos Loose, like, blah, 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 you can very much hear the clash of their swords, which is very dramatic. And mm-hmm. you can like hear lightning and thunder in the background. So they're slashing away at each other and interspersed between their fight, you get additional scenes, which again, at the time you have no context for of Renoa kind of like off on her own sort of low key facing off slash encountering a woman whose face you don't recognize. And she was actually like when the lightning struck and the sword strikes into the ground, her image is briefly in the clouds. It's like one of those very Mufasa like Mm -hmm. ghostly images uh, of the actual villain Ultimatia. So she's like this um, next level sorceress, like world ending time warping kind of person enchantress. She might actually be called an enchantress in the game. I can't remember, Uh, but you see her and her, her imagery is wild because mm. she's got like a very, very villain-esque, just long black dress with this wild headdress and this insane thing on her back that like is an awesome veil slash train. And you're like, I don't know who you are, but I love you and I would join your cause. I don't know what villainry you're up to, but I'm all about that. Or at least that was my response. Yeah. But Renault is kind of there and you're like, okay, so what's happening here in the background? It's very mysterious. You don't really understand what's happening Mm -hmm. and then of course you flash back to the fight between cypher and squall and cypher finally gets a killer hit in onto squall slashes like his face right from kind of his forehead down over his nose and when you're actually playing final fantasy 8 squall starts with that scar like right over his face so these two people have obviously been uh enemies and or frenemies since the beginning so it just does an amazing job of like setting the stage showing you really the key characters of the game so yes there are other people but none of them are present there's of course it's a final fantasy game you get many other party members as the game goes on none of them are present in the opening it's just you've got your two main protagonists squall and renoa versus your two main antagonists uh what did i just cypher and ultimatia right it it distills everything that you need to know about the game without any context right off the bat. Nice. So all you've got is mystery and the world's greatest opening soundtrack for any game ever. And that's where you start. And you're like, oh my God. It's a good start. It's a good start. It's a good start. So even though there's no exploding ice, (laughs) it's still pretty amazing. Nice. And that's Final Fantasy VIII. There you have it. So my second game is one that I've talked about a lot. And the more I talk, I, I... keep having these recurrences to go back to it and everything. I'm keep, make, keep making me think, man, I should really play this game again. Cause does it sit higher in my like ranking of games than I really remember it, but it's Dante's Inferno. Ooh. So, you know, I've talked about this one in, in like some of the creatures and everything that you fight and down in, in the circles of hell. And, and we've talked about some of the Is music the and things like, like that. The babies. Yes. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. It's it's pretty twisted. <laughs> the game itself is pretty twisted. Ugh. But so how it begins is just you you see, you know, it comes out the white text being like, you know, t- given a little brief history of the Crusades because it, it kicks off actually while you're on the Crusades, while Dante's on the Crusades and you're actually during the siege of the city of Acre. And you've been in prison there for a while, but or not you haven't been in prison there for a while. You've been holding the city for a while. You've had these these prisoners there in the city and 
finally they escape and throughout this siege. And so you have to fight them. But then while you're fighting through this, the city, which these are a bunch of people, again, it's, it's not supposed to be a, like, I am the hero of this moment. You're definitely not supposed to feel that way because it's, it's definitely like you're, you're slashing through them all pretty easily. Cause they've been, again, they've been prisoners. They've been in, in cells for a while. They're not in shape. fighting shape. Exactly. And so you're going on, you're doing all this. But what is interesting about the cinematic, and it's kind of a mix of a cinematic and playable level, because how it begins is it opens up on the Italian countryside, because it's post, at night, oh. it's post the Crusades, Dante has returned home, and he's in the woods, and it shows him sewing that fabric cross onto his chest, like into his skin, because that's, it's oh. like a, a, a thing of atonement for him. And you go to understand that more as you play through the game of why this is. But it also is used as a storytelling tapestry, basically. So when it sh- it starts with Dante like sewing this onto his skin, oh. and he sews it on, and it you know it makes him like, and he screams in pain and all this, and it's it's very like ooh, that's unsettling. Cringy. And then it zooms it, it like shows him, and he's like recovering from doing the last stitch kind of thing. And then it zooms in on the cross tapestry, and then it shows this the fight of crusaders battling against uh, Saladin's forces. And it's very much like, have you seen the Bayou tapestry that shows the, the Bayou tapestry or Bio tapestry it, it, that shows the, uh, t- the battle of Hastings in 1066. When William the conqueror came and, and took over England from this. Maybe spell bio. It's by, I, I could be saying it completely wrong by B A Y E O U X. I could be saying that very wrong. Oh, yeah. Bayou. B-A-Y-E-U-X. Yeah. That's how I would say Bayou that. Bayou Tapestry? Yes. This okay. looks vaguely familiar, but obviously I don't know so anything about it. So it's a very old it. medieval art style. Yes. And so and then, so that is what the first little bit of the cinematic is, is showing these two the forces fighting each other. But it had this really imagery, convenient, ironically enough since it was developed by Visceral Games, but this visceral imagery of like whenever someone would be killed in this, they like immediately like disintegrate to bone kind of thing. It was, it's very graphic and gory and everything too, but you get into this, you're fighting through and it's this, but the animation style of the cinematic moves from that. Then into more of like a graphic novel, um, comic booky. Really? Not, not, but more, more with just like very thick lines because there was also a animated full movie that went along with this. That's actually more of like a, a, a anime. Really? Movie. Yeah, it's How? Dante's Inferno, the animated epic. It's like an hour and a half long. Oh my god! I've actually watched it. We gotta watch that. It's, that sounds awesome. It, it, because it's really cool. Because as you descend into the different circles of hell in the game, the animation style changes. So it kind of like cool. kind of like mirrors the the animated epic. But so the art style of it is just really great too. But once you move on and battle the first wave of the escaped prisoners and everything, you move into this open courtyard, and then you are snuck up on by a. a by someone who then stabs you right into the middle of the back. Oh my god! Like, oh well, all right then. This is interesting because this is the supposed hero of this game, and he's got a knife in between his shoulder blades in the first three minutes. Like that, I feel like you don't recover from that very well. But then, so he's staggering from that. He's like, no, like what? No, kind of thing. Death rises from the ground. Ooh, like the personification of yes, death, the personification like with with the death. bony skeletal bony face skeletal and like face. the but cloak. he's got like these long like bony horns Ooh. that like hang down behind him. He's got Ooh. this massive uh, scythe. scythe. Thank you. I was like escaping me for a minute there. And so what? Right at this point, you're bad. You're using like a pole arm battle axe kind of thing is what is what Dante's using. And so then he basically comes up and says, "Hey, man, 
you're damned to hell for all your sins. And as you go on, does he the say game it later, exactly that way? Like he like points that. at him and He's he goes, like, hey, "Hey, man, man. <laughs> you're done fucked up." <laughs> but no, so he doesn't do that like that. He also says it in a way more classical fashion and menacing way. But basically, just like Dante, you're damned to hell for your sins. And Dante's like, "Wait, but the bishop told us that by doing these crusades." Obviously, the sort of the big fucked up part of the Crusades is that everyone was told that they would be absolved from all sins that they that they did if they did these Crusades. You idiots! Great propaganda, you know. Great what I mean? propaganda. And so Dante's like, "Wait, whoa! Like, what did I do?" It, it comes out what later. What did I do? It comes out later. Not only from the you know the massive you know the mass ter- terribleness that was this, that was brought on by the Crusades, but. But, you know, he winds up cheating on his fiance Beatrice with, oh, with someone. Oh, that's the actual reason he goes to hell. And then and, and a few other things. But basically, he just felt like he could do anything. So he did anything. And so here's death telling him, nah, man, you're going to hell. And your sins are also condemned, you know, condemned others. Uh, like, basically, like, you've done so bad, like, other people around you are also going to suffer uh, terrible fates. Oh, God. And so okay, he's that like, seems like an unfair deal. <laughs> and so he's like, uh, no. I was promised and I will not let other people suffer because of what, you know, the other people that I love suffer because of what I've done. So I'm going to redeem myself. And so he basically like squares up against death and it's like, let's do this. And death's like, you're dumb mortal. (laughs) Basically you wind up beating death's ass. And, and then that's where you get your main weapon of the game. The rest of the game, you play with death's sight. Oh, right. And it's like this, it looks the handle of it. The staff, it looks like a, a spine. Like an S, right? It's no, no, no. It's it's straight, but it's bone. Oh, okay. Very it's, cool. It's like someone like pulled the spine out of a huge creature and was like, this is the handle of this Ugh. weapon. And it's got like skulls up on the top where, and it hinges though. So like the blade can stick straight out or it can also be bent at an angle like mm. a typical scythe thing. And so the, it's got like skulls on either side of the of the hinge basically. Very cool. Very menacing God, weapon. God, that's a cool but weapon. But so Dante then, he defeats death, but then, and why this is such a cool or like set, not, not a cool but it introduces the game and got me excited for the game is because it kind of then this is where you get the glimpses of what you're going to experience in the rest of the game because Dante takes the scythe, stabs it basically into Death's chest, raises up and like flips him over with it, but then just basically just halves Death and, you know, vertically but he's cuts only got, him in half. He's only a skeleton, right? I mean, but he's like a demon. So he's there's more to him. He's just very oh, okay. like gotcha. skeletal in his look, but straight up like halves him. And then there's this massive explosion and everything, and then it cuts back to Dante being in in Italy, where he then rushes, is back to his homestead, goes in, sees his father dead murdered, so in there, and then he goes on the backyard and sees his uh, his betrothed Beatrice also dead in the backyard, Gosh. and then when he is mourning her, her soul appears to him, only for the, then to be taken to hell by by uh, Lucifer. Uh- I, okay, gotcha. Thus, the impetus why you have to go into yes, the circles of help. Cause I see. You, cause the, and that's the journey of this game is Dante realizing, oh, yes, I did terrible things, but those don't mean, that doesn't mean Beatrice needs to suffer. So that's this whole like redemption of him okay. going through hell. Very Orpheus. Yeah. And so it's a, so it kind of, it just really sets up the game. And plus, so this is what I mean. Like, I talk about this game, I've talked about this game probably three, four times throughout this show. So I really but need to replay the whole thing. Every time I learn a new different, things. Yeah. Right, it's a different facet of the game. And so I, I really need to go back and play this game in its entirety because I did really enjoy the game. But I just remember it really is. Be, I mentioned it before being developed by by Visceral Games was like the the best choice because that's exactly like what I would use to describe this game. What year did that game come out? It's pretty old by now, isn't it's it? It's probably like ten years old. Oh my gosh! It, it, it's like I realize that that probably doesn't sound that old in in the grand scope of things, but like in gaming years, that's pretty old. I know I played it when I moved here. When I I, I didn't. Um, 
You've lived here for 10 years, bro. I have, actually, this oh year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, 2010. So it's nine years old. Okay. Okay. Um, so On yeah. its birthday next year, that's when I you should replay it. it then. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean... Uh, Happy birthday. <laughs> as I remembered it. It was a really fun game. I mean, it plays very similarly to the earlier God of War games, which I also really enjoy. Uh, but I, I, I appreciate the... Uh, I really enjoy... I can't think of the right word, but it's basically the religious mythology of it. The theology? I mean, yeah. I'm just kidding. But, but, but it's it, more of just like this, the expounding on of what, of what the world yes. of, of what hell is and all right. that stuff. So that's why I call it, you know, and all that. that. And especially because it's based off of early, you know, early Catholicism and all and that they stuff say like that. that it's, video it's a very, games aren't educational. I mean, Are you it, kidding it, me? it is it like, it's, it's a, it's terrifying and it's, and it's, and it's gross, but it's like, it's a, it's a great visual representative of what well, this, hell is supposed to be terrifying and gross. Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's just what I think. Well, one of the strong, they, they capitalized on that imagery of the game. They, they very capital, well, very well. Yes. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> well, but that is why that is my second, my second choice in, in uh, one of my, some of my favorite game. Choice. Good, sir. So my next one then is also from the final fantasy series, but a very different game. Oh, and another one that is very controversial in the broader context of final fantasy. It's final fantasy 10, not 10, two, not 10, two, whatever it's next. Cause there was a third one after that 10, two remix or something. 10, 2.0. I forget. So many Anyways, it doesn't matter. So Final Fantasy X <laughs> uh, came out a couple of years, not a couple, quite a few years after Final Fantasy VIII did. And again, it reset, like, like it set a whole new conversation over what like graphic cinematics in video gaming, the heights that they could reach and how amazing they could be. Because again, when you saw like the trailer for Final, Fan- for Final Fantasy X or any of the cinematics that are in the game, you're like, blood came out of your eyes and you like couldn't <laughs> handle how amazing it was and yeah. you like you went insane for a little while and then when you came back to earth you were like oh, i've got to play that game but the actual in-game opener is a little different so when the game actually starts up it's technically not the opening air quotes cinematic it much more is the opening intro so when the game actually boots up and you're looking at it for the first time, uh, you get, first of all, a completely radically different soundtrack. So in contrast to Final Fantasy VIII's grandiose multi-chorus orchestral uh, theme of Fethos, blah, 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 blah. This one is very simply a solo piano theme. It's slow. It's somber. It sounds very... Not necessarily sad, but bittersweet. Mm -hmm. Like, you get the feeling that, like... I don't really know how to place it. It's just, you, you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. And when the scene kind of comes into view, you can see kind of, uh, again, struck into the earth, three weapons. And if I'm not mistaken, it's Eunice's staff, uh, Titus's ocean sword i forget what it's actually called like his sword stabbed into the ground and maybe waka's blitz ball Mm -hmm. but they're kind of all fanned out in this triad like all in the earth together and it's like very iconic once you get more context for that obviously but then the scene kind of pans to a different perspective and it's sunset i'm pretty sure 
And it kind of repivots to a bunch of people surrounding a campfire. And it's really the entire crew of Final Fantasy X. It's Kumari, it's Lulu, it's Waka, it's Riku. And they're all chilling around this campfire. But none of them are, like, looking at each other. There's no dialogue. They're all just kind of sitting there, again, looking at the ground. Very, like, you can tell that they're all, each of them, internally reflecting on something. Mm -hmm. So they're all together around this fire, but they're clearly all worlds apart from each other. And Titus and Yuna are there, of course. And some people say Titus. And that's stupid. So I'm going <laughs> to so call him Titus because it's way stupid. You're, you're wrong and that's stupid. <laughs> anyway, so Titus is also sitting around the fire and without any words, he just kind of slowly gets up and he walks away from the circle and on his way out of the circle, he passes by Yuna and he kind of like just very slowly again, no words, puts a hand on her shoulder, kind of like in like this motion of like, hey. I'm with you. Yeah. And she doesn't really say anything in return, but she kind of like looks at him and she's like, not even really with a smile. Again, it's a very somber just scene. An acknowledgement. Just an acknowledgement of like this no words connection of, yeah, we're going to do whatever it is that they're about to do. So as he's walking away from the circle, uh, Titus kind of ascends this little like cliff. It's not even like a big one. He just kind of goes up this little hill and he's standing there and he's looking out over a scene. And once you actually are able to really view what, where they are, you realize they are in the ruins of what was apparently a city at one point. Mm -hmm. You can see it out in the distance. There's rock, really just rock and water and the city out in the water. And you're like, huh, I wonder what, wonder what that is. What's going on over there? Uh, and Titus, he doesn't actually say it, but the only two lines you get out of him at this point are like his internal monologue. And he says, listen to my story. This may be our last chance. Mm. And it's like, what do you mean our last chance? Immediately What's very high Immediately, stakes. Immediately like high stakes right yeah. off the bat. And like, again, it's just the tone is so... Again, somber really is the word that I'm looking for there. Uh, the gravity is there. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, whatever they're about to do, it they mean business. And right. it's definitely not going to be good. Uh, and what I love about this scene in particular in comparison to Final Fantasy VIII is the radical difference of, yes, they're both the same, air quotes, series, but the two different styles. Final Fantasy VIII focuses on really just the four core people, you could argue, of Final Fantasy VIII, the two villains and the two protagonists. Mm -hmm. Whereas Final Fantasy X's opening theme, very low-key, very minimalistic, and it shows you all of the characters all at once, and you eventually realize that that scene happens at the very end of the game, like when you're just about to go into the game's true final phase. Yeah. So you get like very beginning, all mystery. You have no idea what's going, what's going on, but it's very like, it's very bombastic in Final Fantasy VIII. Flash to Final Fantasy X. You again have no idea what's going on, but you know that shit has already gone bad. Right. And you're like, oh man, what's going to happen next? And the two different stylings of them, I think, show the range that Final Fantasy is capable of. And it just sets the, sets the tone for what is ultimately an amazing game that more people should play because it really is good. But again, super controversial, so whatever. Anyways, that's Final Fantasy X. Awesome. Yeah. Very good pick. So my last one comes from one of my favorite games. 
And this one is actually a level, not a cut, not a cinematic or anything like that. And it is crew expendable from Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Crew expendable? Crew expendable. And actually, technically, it's not the first mission. The first mission is called FNG. Fucking new guy. Effigy? F-N-G. F period N period G. Because it's like, because it's, you're a new recruit. You show up to the special training oh, forces. Oh, gotcha. so, And they call you the fucking new guy. And so gotcha. the, the, the mission's called FNG. And so basically that one though, I don't count it because it's basically the tutorial. You run through like a training course that's yeah. prepping you. It's, it's modeled after though the next, it's what they're using as the training course for this next mission. The actual first mission of the game crew expendable, which is where, and it's a very iconic mission in the call of duty series because it takes place it starts it's a stormy night you're in a helicopter flying open across the sea in this storm trying to get to a cargo ship that you're going to land on and and infiltrate and take over to try to get its cargo because you're it's rumored there's a weapon of some kind on it gotcha and so you're you're chilling it sets up immediately how just badass of a character crap captain price is because he's sitting there in the chopper with you just smoking a cigar (laughs) and he's got his night vision goggles like up on top resting on top of his head and he just looks chill you know he's like (laughs) this man I'd follow him, and I'm going to. <laughs> and so basically what it is, though, is it starts off, and you just rappel down onto the ship. You go through on top of the ship. You take out a few enemies here and there. But the action doesn't really start until you get into the ship. Because at this point, like, you're sneaking, you're sneaking up. You're, you know, take, taking out some guys as, the, uh, as they're resting and just, you know, trying to be as quiet as you can. But then it kind of all goes to shit when you get into the ship because then they discover you, and you get into a lot of massive firefights. But it was... It were really cool for one of being one of the first Call of Duty games that I really played. Just getting and how much of a big step it was from. I take that back. It wasn't one of the first, but still, it was the first in this new direction. So it was for a lot of people playing it because it had been before all in the like World War, and now here we are in modern times. And oh, so like right, okay. getting to experience like one of the first things that happens is you get flashbanged and everything, and kind of blind and disoriented. You're like, whoa, this is weird, and. And everything, but it's all in very tight corners because you're in the corridors of the ship. So you're up on like gangplanks and walkways, and they're all down below and everything. And there's cargo bins everywhere blocking things, and it's just a very chaotic atmosphere to be fighting in. Plus, it's also fairly dark because it's at and it's raining and it's raining and it's stormy and all this. And but then you 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 bust through, you get through everybody, you find the the weapon, and you're like, sweet. (gasps) Is it friendship? No, it's not oh. friendship. Unfortunately, it's a nuclear device. Oh. <laughs> and you're like, this is same this thing. Is bad. Uh, and then it's on the way, you know, to the big bads of the of the game. And so you're like, well, we've obviously got to get this out. So you radio in, you radio back, they're like, all right, we found the weapon, we're ready for extract, come come get us. But then two jets come out of nowhere, blow a hole in the side of this boat, knocks everybody all around, and then it's one of the most iconic parts of Call of Duty. Modern Warfare, you get knocked down to the ground, and you're the new guy. So everybody else is still like, they're disoriented, but they're getting up, they're getting going. And you're kind of like, oh, what? Captain Price like bends over, picks you up. And of course, it's first person, so he's just right in your face. And he's just like, get on your feet. And then he like yells, we are leaving! And then you take off, and then you basically have to bust and run, bust ass out of this ship, because it's sinking. Oh, God. So, you and sinking ships. <laughs> I, I got a theme today. And so it's... Coincidentally enough, in the opening of Dante's Inferno, a burning ship crashes into the into the city and allows you to get to the next part of the level. So there you go. You are obsessed with boats. I just want to be a sailor. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, so so you you're this boat at this point. It's fallen to the side. It's water starting to rush in. It's starting to fall apart. So even as you're walking on these like high walkways and catwalks on this boat, they start detaching from the side. Oh God! So you're trying to run and stay moving quickly. 
but you're getting knocked to your feet. You're getting knocked around. And it was just such an in- intense few seconds of trying to run out of the ship. And if you get fall, if you fall enough behind, then obviously you're going to die. Right. And, but also captain price and the other soldiers, they're busting ass getting out of there too. So you're like trying to, and there's Keep turns there, you know, they'll take a turn and you'll turn that turn and be like, Oh, where'd they go? And then you have to like figure out where they're going. So it's a very hectic from what it turned into be like, okay, this is all good to immediately becoming hectic. Just, gets the adrenaline flowing. You're like, Oh my God, what is going on? What's going to be the rest of this game? Like it's, it's just, it's so just like a, immediate adrenaline and you get out, you get to the back of the ship and the chopper that brought you there before. It's one of those, uh, like dual rotor Chinook helicopters that has the opening bay from the back. Yeah. Everybody knows what those are. So I'm explaining it. <laughs> it opens from the back and everything. And the pilot like has it backed up to the, to the, to the ship. And, but as it's going down, so you're running up this, up the ship as it's inclining to Titanic style and you're running up it. And then you're the last one there and you have to jump from the ship to the helicopter. And it's one of those things you, you hit, you only make it like halfway onto the helicopter and you start sliding off the thing. You're, God. you're you see your arms like grabbing, trying to grab something. Price runs up and he just goes, gotcha. And grabs on and just pulls you in. And you're just like, I feel safe God. in your arms. When is call of duty going to stop being cowards and let you romance captain price? I mean, he's being brought back for Who the modern warfare reboot do coming that? out in October. That Everybody I'm super would if for. you could, maybe you get to in this one, maybe you get I'd be to all about it. And so it, and so again, it's one of those things. I realize all of these games are like fairly like it's 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 a these big bombastic events. I mean, really, all of ours that we've talked about have been these like bigger things happening, these action pieces, I guess, to kick off these games. But really, like, it's just I don't know. That's just what like that's what really gets me into the it gets me into one. If it, if it's like the first level starts or the ends or the opening cinematic, and if I just feel like. Oh yeah, like this is what I'm gonna get. I'm getting into. Then I'm that's gonna sell me on that game pretty pretty easily. And so right it's on. that's what that's what that one. It's just I remember. And again, because it was the first level, and of how many times I replayed Modern Warfare, like oh, I've played it so many times. It's just it's it's a great level. And I've it played just, it no times. It just kicks it off. And but that the right sounds tone. very cool. It just makes the right. whole game because it's like you got that chase, the, you know, this escape, this quick escape, and the, really the whole game of Modern Warfare. It takes place in different places. You play as different people. Sorry, but it's still like it's still very fast. Like the events of the game take place within a few days, so you always feel like you're kind of never having a chance to rest. Right. And I feel like this opening level does that and kind of like sets that up to be like, hey, don't don't think you're going to get, get ready like, these to peaceful run. Moments. Yeah, exactly. Hope your cardio is good. <laughs> exactly. So that's why crew expendable. From Modern Warfare is Very cool. my top. Well, that wraps up our list of some of our favorite introductions to the video games that we've played. We would love to hear some of yours as well. So send us an email at teamchatpockets at gmail.com. Comment below on the video or audio of where you're listening. Send us a message or comment on our social media. Discord, we'd love to hear from you. But before we go, we do have to do our soundtrack spotlight, which Mogan has prepared for us for this week. So bringing us down from all of that action. All that action. All of that action. I got hype just talking we're, about it. We're going to really chill everybody okay, out okay. Uh, with two Xanarkand from Final Fantasy X's opening intro. So this is composed by Nobuo Uematsu, and that is two Xanarkand, Final Fantasy X OST. Awesome. From what we listened to a little bit before, we, as we were prepping for this, it's very peaceful, very which peaceful. is why it will help everyone calm down from this action-packed ta- episode. Take a nap. <laughs> just, just chill. Just relax. Maybe get a good cry out. Whatever you need exactly. to do. So listen to that after the close of the episode, which is pretty much now. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Team Chat Podcast, everyone. Hope you'll join us again next week for another exciting episode on a fun gaming topic. But until then, I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined. 
by Rachel Mogan. Adios. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>